M S W Media. How's it? It's Neil Everett from ESPN. You're listening to What We're Drinking. This is best-selling author Joel Stein. We've got BK Brian Kelly and Tyler Hubbard, also known as the duo Florida Georgia line. Well, I'm from Georgia, and he's from Florida, but we... We met in Tennessee. We we met in Nashville. Well, we met on eHarmony. Tiffany Thiessen, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. It's always good to see you, and... Same, same. To the man himself, Kenny Chesney. Very exciting time in my life, and um, something that has been a vision of mine for a while. Hey, everybody. This is Ed Kowalczyk from the band Live, and you're listening right now to the second best voice from Pennsylvania to come full circle like we have and be playing at the level that we're playing and having the fun that we're having, everybody's just like, pinch me. Very, very, very thrilled to welcome Nathaniel Ratliff. The Night Sweats idea was just kind of like me in my attic. I didn't even know it was ever going to be a record than anybody that saw the light of day. So I'm here with Matthew McConaughey. How are you, buddy? I'm good, man. I said, can you throw a few stalks of sugar cane in there? He's like, hell no, I can't. I go, I know you can't, but... My old pal, Adam Corolla Ace, how are you? You don't know why I've continued to do your shows, or I you don't know why you love me? Pull, I think you're just going to pull the ring and just go, you know what, I've had enough of this fucking shit. But maybe it's the alcohol. Must be that. I don't have a very high threshold for like what I'll do and what I'll not do. <laughs> Hi, this is Kurt Russell. Listen, I escaped from New York, but I couldn't get the hell out of Dan Dunn's happy hour. Please, send help. Dita Von Teese. I'm not trying to shock anybody. I'm trying to change people's minds about what it is to be a stripper. Well, pour yourself a glass, sit for a spill. It's time to have some fun. Let's do a little thinking, some picking and a drinking. But this is what we're drinking with Dan Dunn. Hey everybody, this is Dan Dunn, and uh, what we're drinking on this episode is uh, Dayquil. Um, I have been laid low since Christmas. The flu came at me, and it came at me hard. Um, In fact, I wasn't even sure I was going to do an episode, but then I started thinking about it, and I said, well, you know, Tuesday is not only the last day of 2019. It's also the last day of the decade. That's a pretty momentous occasion, and I, I I wanted to be able to you know honor that occasion with an episode. But it's going to be a quick one. I'll tell you that uh, because I don't have a lot a lot of gas in me here. But I want to start off today by really by saying thank you. Um, this is our 30th episode. We launched the show back in June. And I got to tell you, I am thrilled, and I know the people at Starburns Audio, the network, are thrilled with the the listenership. The numbers keep going up and up, and that's really all because of you. And I thank you for that, for listening, and hopefully you'll continue to listen in the new year. And most importantly, you know, tell tell your friends about it. I mean, that's how this podcast thing works. It's word of mouth is huge. 
because I'm competing, I believe, with about 3 million podcasts right now, and that's probably not an exaggeration. So the more people you tell about it, if you dig the show, the better it is, and, the, and hopefully the, the, the longer we can continue. Uh, 2020 is looking pretty good so far. I can tell you we've got some a bunch of guests in the offing, uh, Miles Teller, Allison Janney, Walton Goggins, Aisha Tyler, just to name a few. And I'm sure there's going to be a lot more. I'm going to go after some of the big, the big guns that are in that all that are celebrities that are also in the spirits and wine game. Like, you know, uh, Ryan Reynolds, love to get him on here. Uh, Drew Barrymore, there's a bunch. I got a wish list, and I'm I, I'm hoping we're going to be able to uh, check off some of those names in 2020. Um, in 2019, as I said, we started in June and 30 episodes, and we had a, a number of fantastic guests from, you heard a bunch in the beginning there, Matthew McConaughey, uh, Dita Von Teese, Will Forte was on the show, Zane Lamprey, Oliver Cooper, uh, the list goes on and on. Uh, one of my, I guess if I was thinking about it, you know, I was thinking earlier today about some of my favorite moments on the show this year. Jesus, I'm dying. Let me sip some of this cold medicine here. It's actually tea. Um, I would say, you know, there were a lot of great moments, but one of my favorites, I went to Kentucky for a music festival called Bourbon and Beyond, and I got to talk to a lot of great people there, one of whom was Alex Ebert, the lead singer of Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros. And I just found him to be a really engaging, fascinating guy, but... The interview began right after their set, uh, which was incredibly moving for me. The music and the, the atmosphere and just the way that Alex engaged with the audience. And I started off the interview telling him what that meant to me. And, and here's that little snippet of that, which is probably my, my favorite uh, moment interviewing guests this year. So when I was a kid... I grew up in Philadelphia, and I grew up, I didn't have any money. We had no money growing up, and uh, treats were few and far between. But one of the treats when I was a child was my grandmother, who was really, really old when I was a kid, and she's gone now. But every year, she would take me to John Wanamaker's, and John Wanamaker's is a department store, in, was a department store in Philadelphia, and they would do a Christmas show every year, and this was the treat because we would go down and they had a guy that was sort of the master of ceremonies at the Christmas show and he was to me the most amazing person he used to wear these really garish costumes and he would come out and and he would just orchestrate this whole extravaganza and a lot of the time when I would go and I was a little kid I was like six or seven years old and and I would look at this guy and I would think he's talking to me right like I got it this guy is telling and like I would leave there thinking everything's going to be all right. And so then one year I went to the John Wanamaker's Christmas show and my grandmother surprised me and said that after a John Wanamaker's, we were going to go see Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, the movie, Gene Wilder. And we went to see that. And that was probably the best day I remember sounds like when I was day. a kid. I, I went, <laughs> I remember walking out of there thinking this is, this is, Happiness. This was what happiness feels like. So I bring this up because I just witnessed a, a set of music here at Bourbon and Beyond by Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros. And I don't know exactly why, but it made when I was sitting there, I teared up a little, tearing up a little bit now. 
I, uh, yeah, hold on. <laughs> All right, there we go. I teared up a little bit when I was watching the show because I thought, Jesus, man, like, uh, this is what happiness feels like. Again, much older now. And so I am really <laughs> happy to, about that. And I'm also happy to have the guy sitting in front of me right now who made that happen, Alex Ebert of Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros. And thanks for joining me, man. Oh, my God. What a story. That, that, that's so overwhelming to hear, man. That's so beautiful. <laughs> well, it's cool as hell, you know. It's like I think about... That's all I ever wanted, you know, as a, as an artist. It's like, why do you want to? Why do you want to do this, you know? And that that's the only that's the only thing is like uh, having a having a positive impact. And it sounds so fucking cliche or trite, but it's um it's fat to have a, to hear a story like that is um you know it sounds like a cliche, but it makes the whole thing so much more than worth it you but know, it's, it's not, like i can die a, i can die a happy person now, <laughs> but real. it's not it's not a, it's not a cliche because and trust me man i'm the most cynical motherfucker there is right, right. but every once in a while there's like a crack in the armor and this thing seems and it just happened right. here in louisville I and like especially it. when uh alex went out into the audience well the, the first moment that i really was when you when you faded into instant karma uh, by by John Lennon, and the whole crowd was singing. You know, we all shine on, and I started going. And then when you you went out into the crowd, and you asked some people to share stories with you, and at that that was the moment when I just started tearing up. And I thought it reminded me of that guy. I don't know who he, the hell he was, the guy that used to run the John Wanamaker thing, because he was just there to make everybody feel good. But more than just like anybody can get up on stage. I always felt like he was talking to me, and I felt like that's what it was with you. And I think a lot of the people in the crowd probably felt the same way. So, thanks again, man. Like that's that's isn't that what it's about? Isn't that what performance is about? Is connectivity, man. Connecting. Yeah, yeah. That's everything. And that was that. That was my. Uh, that was the moment I, I really enjoyed. I probably talked too much during it, but I was caught up in the moment, and I also um, was uh, had a few drinks. <laughs> But, uh, you know, I wanted to uh, to thank uh, Alex for that and uh, providing that moment. I hope to have him back on the show again. And there, that's the song. Home, I love that song. It's such a good one. And he played that at the uh, at Bourbon Beyond. Um, okay, so I'm gonna leave. It's gonna be a quick one, as I mentioned today. And and there's a, two stories I want to tell you, uh, and I'm gonna leave you with that for 2019 and for the decade. These two stories. Um, for years, I've been collecting stories from bartenders, not stories about what it's like to bartend, but stories about life because bartenders are uh, uniquely qualified. They're therapists, they're bouncers, they're your best friend, they're the guy that gets you home safe, they're the, they're the woman who makes sure that you're uh, not being inappropriate, you know, they're, they're just, they're everything. Bartenders see it all, they, they hear it all, and they take it all in. So uh, for years I've been collecting these stories with the, the idea of eventually turning it into a book. And one of the great stories that I got was from a, an old friend of mine who's a bartender and lives and works in New York City named Charles Hardwick. And I love this story, which we dubbed The Secret Sharer. And I'm going to tell it to you right now. And I'm going to tell it to you. I'm, I'm going to 
I'm gonna not gonna try to impersonate Charles, but this is as told by Charles Hardwick, a story called The Secret Chair. One of the strangest things that happened to me was in the early 90s at a place in New York City's East Village called Around the Clock. It was a crazy clientele and we had crazy hours. A bunch of rock and roll people lived in the neighborhood and would come in all the time. Joey Ramone was regular, for instance. This happened one night when my girlfriend happened to be there. Between talking to her and making drinks at one end of the bar, I was also intermittently eating my dinner off a plate I had next to the beer taps. Suddenly, I get a bunch of orders for the service bar, and when I come back from taking care of them, there's a guy sitting at the bar near where my food was. He was dressed grungy, which of course was the style at the time. Skinny, hair messed up just so, looked kind of like Jeff Buckley if Jeff Buckley didn't have a bazillion dollar record deal. I went and moved my food out of his way and took his order, Corona and a shot of Cuervo. As I was getting his drinks, my girlfriend gave me one of those wide-eyed, we-need-to-talk-in-private looks. She pretended to get up and go to the bathroom, and I met her at the other end of the bar. That guy just ate some of the food off your plate, she said. I should explain that this was not like someone grabbing a french fry or a tater tot. My meal was a stir-fry. The guy had picked up my fork and used it to eat my food was a very weird position to be in. He hadn't stolen anything of significant value, nor had he ruined my food. But he had violated a pretty clear social norm. You don't eat off someone else's plate using their fork without their permission. You just don't. I guess the guy saw us talking because as I walked back toward him, he had this look like a puppy that just wet the carpet. I wasn't sure what I was going to say to him, so thankfully he made the first move. I'm really sorry, man. I don't know what to say, he said. Yeah, I replied. What's the deal? Is that something you do? Go to restaurants and eat off other people's plates? He looked at me for a minute, and then he sort of sighed a little and said, yeah. He wasn't being a wise-ass. He looked genuinely ashamed. Has anyone ever told you that's rude, I asked him. I didn't know what to say. I'm really sorry, man, he replied, and went back to drinking his beer. He didn't rush it, but he left once he was finished. A couple days later, the same guy came in again. When he saw me, he smiled a little and said, Hey man, how you doing? <clears throat> I wasn't sure where this was going. Was he going to apologize again? Turns out, no. I think I left my credit card here last night, he said. You guys have it? It's green. I looked at the abandoned credit cards we kept clipped to the register, and sure enough, there was one green one. The name on the card? Jeff Buckley. Thanks, man, he said, sunnily as I passed it to him. See you soon. I never saw him again. Hi, this is Zane Lamprey. You are listening to What We're Drinking with my good friend Dan Dunn. Always a good time. That is a fact. That is an absolute fact because I've done it several times. He has. Zane, that is. And so, uh, thanks to Charles, by the way. I'm going to have to let him know I just used his story on the show. Um. And I got one more, and this is a story of mine, and um, it's about a imaginary bar. Maybe it's not an imaginary bar. Maybe it's a real bar somewhere, and I hope it is. I'd say that. I hope it is for uh, people like myself who appreciate the power of the written word, and I'm sure many of you do as well. Um, 
I wonder if we should do a little, should we do a little background noise for this? Should we have like, like a crowd? Maybe we should have a crowd for this. What do you think? Let's try it. Crowd? No. How about that? No? That sounds like the nighttime. <laughs> Maybe I'll stop now. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Just me having fun with sounds. See, like that. Or break the glass or scream. Ah! Hey, we got them all. I'll just shut up and tell the goddamn story. So I know this bar called the Epilogue. The regulars like to say it's located at the end of a very long, very subjective, and perhaps even run-on, comma-spliced sentence. They're a grizzled lot, the habitués of the epilogue. A lot look a bit worse for the wear, but somehow they wear it well. These colorful ladies and gentlemen come from all over the world and from all walks of life. It's no wonder they all wound up hunkered down at the same dog-eared watering hole. We'll start with Scott out of St. Paul, Minnesota. Little guy, but throws him back like one of the big boys. At least he tries to. We're being honest, though. He's a bit of a lightweight. And he gets real temperamental with a few gin rickies in him. Which is to say, every damn day and thrice on Sundays. To hear him tell it, Scott comes from a well-to-do family, but ask him about his upbringing or his ex-wife, and he clams right up. Always wanted to know about that ex-wife. They say she was a real live wire. Of course... If Scott's around, Ernie can't be far away. Hails from the suburbs of Chicago. Folks call him Papa. Big dude. Cuts a romantic figure if you ask the ladies around here. And Sure, everybody at the epilogue has a great story to tell, but few can spin a yarn like Papa. I mean, everyone has fish stories, but Papas have real fish in them. Tonight, it seems he's moving away from the whiskey, celebrating the new open-door Cuban policy with memories of the El Floridita and his beloved double daiquiris. Those are what? Two and a half jiggers of rum, juice of two limes, half a grapefruit, a bit of maraschino, shaved ice? Damn. Larger than life. Just like Papa. You get three types of conversation at the epilogue. There's the kind that ends in sex, the kind that ends in a fight, and the kind that never seems to end. Like Dorothy's. At the epilogue, she always seems to be four martinis into the night. But the way she mumbles is endearing, and anyone with an earshot is sure to lean in for fear of missing out on one of her balmots. <clears throat> you can't talk about mumbling in the epilogue without talking about the doctor. Can't miss him. That's his red convertible parked on the sidewalk out front. A lot of people say you shouldn't smoke in bars anymore, but shouldn't isn't in the doctor's vocabulary. Guy takes a Shivas Rocks and a Dunhill and several too many trips to the bathroom with his attorney. Chandler and Fleming keep to themselves at a booth in the back. A bit aloof, both of them. Mysterious bastards. Their fascination with crime knows no bounds, nor is their appreciation for fortified liquid. Chandler alternates between gimlets and straight bourbon. Fleming's a martini guy, though. Stirred, or was it shaken? I swear I was ready to leave two drinks ago, and shit. Hank came in. Started saying those hard things in that simple way. Even Papa clams up when the old guy holds forth. Then Hank did what Hank does. Ordered drinks. For all his friends. Then he moved off to talk to Chris. The British dude by the window. 
Something about the difference between a democracy and a dictatorship. Chris has only been coming to the epilogue for a few years, but you'd never know it from the way he acts. Still believes in the political potential of America, though he seems to celebrate the virtues of a godless country more than most. Many of the regulars have a go-to beverage, but Chris is an equal opportunity in Biber. Wine, beer, liquor, hell. Set him up and he'll knock him down. So long as it's the good stuff, he only goes for the good stuff. And you already know his response if you try to buy him a shot of well liquor. Cheap booze is a false economy. Now we can't all be sweethearts. Take William. Voted least likely to be called a sweetheart. Always moaning about wanting to go back to Yaknapatawa County. And who the hell is this Absalom guy anyway? Besides, he's always sat at that table with Tennessee, drinking Vucarés and moaning about Stella. But like any joint that's been around a while, melancholy sticks to the place like a highball glass on a dirty bar. Just about everyone who comes through the door is damaged goods. Some are destined to spend eternity nursing wounds that will never heal, blind to the limits of whiskey's curative powers. Alcohol may well be the anesthesia by which we endure the operation of life, but for the habituates of the epilogue, it's the poison that never quite finishes the job. The best and worst thing about the epilogue is that there's no such thing as last call, so you have to make a point of not overstaying your welcome. Otherwise, someone might inquire whether you might be better at home down the road a ways, swilling macro brews at the Comma Splice Cafe or sipping yesterday's wine at the dangling participle there. But I'll let you in on a little secret. You can spot the regulars at the epilogue. They're the only ones the bartenders ever let pay. Blow-ins like me pull out their wallet, and our money's no good. One day, though, I hope I'll hunker down and buy a few rounds. For all my friends. At least it's fun to think so. And with that, I think it's time to call it a year and a decade. Um, again, I, I, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for helping to make this show a, a success so far. Again, we're only 30 episodes in. We still got a lot more to go. Um, but uh, things are looking good. Appreciate you following me on the social media. It's at the imbiber. Feel free to leave messages. Um, anything, really. You can even talk shit about me. I like it. It fuels me somehow. Um, and again, I want to thank all the guests that we've had this year. I'm looking forward to the guests we're going to have next year. I'm hoping to be all right by New Year's Eve. And I'll be raising a glass to you, and I hope you'll do the same to me. I'm Dan Dunn. And this is what we're drinking. Nice buns, soft, fluffy, and ultra low net carbs. Discover Hero Bread, the delicious ultra low net carb bread. With incredible taste and texture, Hero Bread has zero grams of sugar and is under 100 calories per serving. Plus, high in fiber with 5 to 10 grams of protein per serving. Order from Hero.co now and get 10% off your first purchase with promo code AH10. That's 10% off with code AH10. H-E-R-O dot C-O.